I would advise really to have a mentor. You need to have someone to talk to. You cannot be alone as a CEO. Your mentor could be your wife, for instance, anyone. But I mean, yeah, from time to time, you need to be knocked down. The Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. From both sides of the pond. With Bulent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast with me, Bulent Osman. And this time, I'm near Kalkan on the southwest Aegean coast of Turkey, enjoying some sunshine. And Shelley Bays, who's on the northern California coast still, where we get some afternoon sun, but some morning fog, which is just delightful. Hi, Bulent. How are you? Very well, Shelley. And I'm really looking forward to this particular episode because we've got this special guest today, haven't we? And it's all about the reflection of a serial tech entrepreneur, somebody who's been out there and have done it several times. He's, he's very experienced. And you know this person very well, don't you? Yeah, I've known Jean-Philippe Couturier for more than 10 years, I think. And um, he's an impressive guy. He is French, but has lived in many places in the world. He is indeed a serial entrepreneur. He's a tech entrepreneur, but he also has founded a wine business, so he has many other interests. He has very solid and, I think, perceptive views of the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I think we'll be able to, for us, compare and contrast what it's like in France, what it's like in the U.S., what it's like in the U.K. or other parts of the world. And he's currently the CEO of a company called, I pronounce it, Whose, we'll ask him, how to pronounce it, uh, which has to do with staffing optimization. And uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting company doing very, very well. So uh, there will be lots of fun questions we can ask him. I'm delighted to welcome Jean-Philippe Couturier, who now joins us from Paris in France. Uh, Jean-Philippe, uh, bonjour to you. Bonjour. Nice to see you, Jean-Philippe. How are you doing? Nice to see you, Shelley. Doing fine. So I want to know more about your current venture because we are looking at this discussion with you as reflections of a serial tech entrepreneur. But I'm interested in starting out understanding what you're doing today and your current company. Is it pronounced Who's, who's? Is that how you pronounce it? W-H-O-Z? It's, it's always a good question, you know, um, and uh, it depends if you are French, uh-huh. if you are American or English. If you are French, it's kind of who's, because uh, normally in French, it's, it's, it should be like was. But because we like, you know, talking a bit of English street language, we, we love who's, <laughs> so... Uh, no, let's say was. Okay, mean. good. Yeah, in American, I'd say, or English, I'd say whose, whose. But so tell us about why you started it, sort of the inspiration and um, where it is today. The, the thing is that um, if I take a bit of history, um, I started a consulting firm in 2005. And, you know, I am uh, an engineer in computer science, so I'm a kind of lazy guy. I don't want to, you know, type in the same information in three different software or whatever. So, I mean, when you do consulting, when you do services, what you want, you want to allocate and do kind of smart allocation of your people uh, with, let's say, the right skills on the right project. 
If you do that on your IT system, what you do is that you have your customer demands or the project demands in a kind of CRM or project management tool. And then you have the people in kind of intranet with CVs and skills and stuff like that. Then you have the availability of people on the kind of timesheet management system, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end, you, you need to reconciliate all of that. And most of the companies in 2005, and I would say most of the companies still now are doing that with Excel. And uh, Excel for staffing, it's not that efficient. So we started the development of a piece of software for our own business. And the thing is that a lot of companies between 1,000 and 10,000 people they came to us and say, can we have a license? And I said, no, my business is a consulting business. So it's only for internal, my, my, for my own business. This was Innoven. It was Innoven. Yes, yes, Innoven. I-N-O-V-E-N. And, and when I sold the company, um, I had this piece of software. A lot of people were wanted to have licenses. The piece of software was pretty old. And I looked to market. The very interesting thing is that, yes, most of the companies are doing their staffing. Not only consulting firms, but also, you know, large IT departments, etc. They are doing their resource allocation uh, based on Excel. And if you take only engineering, consulting, and IT system integrators, they are making around $3,000 billion of revenue every year. And they are missing like five points of EBIT just because they are using Excel. So we're like, okay... Since that there is a market. So we started with research and development. We wanted to really go on tier one and tier two, which is not that often with startup. Normally in startup, you build a piece of software, you know, kind of disruptive bit of software for small companies and small project groups. But we wanted to target the large enterprise and the middle enterprise. And so we spent three years in research and development, spent 10 million euros in research and development before we, we got our first customer. And I would say that uh, that's what we are doing. So smart allocation means in a click, you map the skills of your people, you have your project demands, and then we do smart allocations actually to maximize the margin revenue or the time to market on projects. So I know one of the things that you are passionate about and have, have talked about and think a lot about is the concept of building the team that is going to build the company. For a startup, the team is critical, and yet it's kind of chicken or the egg. You know, how do you build the team if you don't yet have the full-fledged company, but yet to get the full-fledged company, you need the team? So tell us a little bit about your, your philosophy about team building. First of all, I started this company when I was a bit older than 40 years old. So you, st you start having some, you know, professional relation, relationship with people. You, you know the people, people, uh, you work with people. So when I sold my, my, my consulting firms and I came to people and said, look, uh, this is the project I want, to, I want to start now. Do you want to join? 20 people says, yeah, I want to join. So we started the company with 20 people. 20 people that are 20 funders keen on succeeding in this project. And, and it's not easy. I mean, 20 people from the start, when, when you, you start with a blank page, it's a nightmare. The, 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 the funny thing here is that we started officially the company in June 2016. In end of August, beginning of September, we had absolutely nothing done in the company. We worked. I mean, everybody was full of speed but nothing happened in the company. And then we said, okay, look, we take three months. If we are not able to synchronize, if we are not able to deliver in the coming three months, then we stop. 
And actually, everybody says, okay, now we need to deliver. And we started delivering. So it's not easy. Was it more about they started working together towards a common goal? Or was it just that a deadline was set? Because you're right, you know, 20 people to get them to march in the same direction towards the same goals is not always easy. It's not always easy. And your value prop is not that easy. We knew the industry very well. We knew the kind of software we wanted to build, but the value proposal that is very clear now in the company, we took like two or three years to really fine tune it, etc. We knew now that our value proposal is we help our customer maximize their revenue, their margin, or their time to market by digitalizing the staffing to better answer their project, their people aspirations, and their 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 own stake. So meaning the margin, the revenue, etc. So being very simple, very clear on the value prop is not that easy. So the why at the beginning is much more, yeah, I want to be part of the team. I want to be part of the project, but not clearly, okay, that's what I want to build. And step by step, you will, you will build that. So in order to make it happen and make sure that the company uh, and the team will deliver, you need to have a common purpose. If the value prop is not clear, then the deadline should be clear. Either we do something or we stop the company. And we then started delivering and building the software and we do some pilot. But I mean, at the end, uh, we have a piece of software right now that is used by more than half a million people. And we did last year a VC round with PSG Equity. Uh, so, and uh, we, we raised uh, 30 million. And in France, it's quite important, 30 million. I know that in the US, it's it's less important, but in France, it's quite important. And uh, <laughs> and the very interesting thing is that we had the chance to be selected by really very large companies, companies with hundreds of thousands of consultants in order to digitalize completely their staffing. And for that, I would say that COVID was very important. I mean, it was a catastrophe for a lot of families, but... In the business, it's a bit different. Actually, we were too soon in the market. And I must say that really the market was about to digitalize, but not yet. And with COVID, we, in my opinion, the COVID sped up the, the market by three to five years. I mean, between March and September 2020, I mean, we did absolutely nothing. All our prospects were like, we don't know where the market is going, so we're not going to do something. The very interesting thing, they were they were happy to answer us because actually they had no new customers or whatever. So actually, they were actually available to answer us just to say, no, we're not going to move on. But after after that, in September, actually, we started receiving a lot of RFPs and a lot of companies, they started really their, their transformation because they realized they didn't know actually what their people were doing. They realized that they had no actually kind of industrialization of their staffing process. Uh, they were not efficient. They were not able to relocate people very quickly. And thanks to remote work, you have now a new paradigm called global talent deployment. We are really leading this staffing and global talent deployment stuff, actually, in the SaaS software. Okay. 
Can I ask about um, language and culture? Uh, Of course, your language is impeccable. Your English is impeccable. But your company is a French company, obviously headquartered in Paris, but now dealing internationally across the world. What were the challenges of you taking your go-to-market proposition and articulating it in different languages, obviously English, but probably others as well, and appealing to people of different cultures? If we talk about cultural differences, I think that... In France, we have an engineering culture that is quite impressive. We have engineers, people who are doing mathematics, and they are very good at what they are doing. But we are really, really bad at delivering a simple message. If you give something very simple to a French person, it's going to become very complex. So doing marketing with French people is kind of nightmare. (laughs) I must say that. I mean, really. And American, I'm always impressed by American people because if you give something very complex, they will deliver a very simple and very easy messages. When you talk about staffing, it's not that easy. I mean, the word is easy, but actually it's quite complex. So the first thing is that we are still struggling to you know, simplify the message and find the message that could work in the UK, in the US, in India, in France, in Spain, etc. Not only the message, but also the words. Staffing, for instance, does not mean the same in UK, in US, in Spain, in Germany, or in France. Mm-hmm. Staffing in France is pretty clear. Consulting firms, IT system integrators, engineering firms, they are doing their staffing, so smart resource allocation, where actually it's not, it doesn't mean interim or uh, stuff about employment, etc. So wording is nightmare. And I must say that here, for instance, PSG is helping us a lot because it's uh, an American uh, private equity firm. And, and uh, so we work with, with American people And from time to time, we say, okay, what kind of words can we use, I mean, to better serve our our speech? And they say, actually, you should get rid of all the technical words, functional words, or specific words. I mean, so plain text with very simple words to explain what you are doing. So I would say that being international is trying to be simple. And simple is very difficult. It's the same when you are in a deal with an American person. You, You pitch your company. You show the product in the US, people say, that's fantastic. That's amazing. I love the project. If you are not used to work with, with, with American people, you're like, okay, I'm going to make the deal. Or actually for American, an American person, it means, okay, let's continue. And that's it. No more. If you say that to a French person, it means that's fantastic. You are the best software in the world. I want your software. What's an example of, of when it went wrong for you or something bad happened because there was a misunderstanding or there was a cultural difference between the French culture and maybe the British or American culture? Let's say that if, if I want to make, to, to make it very generic, the, the thing is that when you are doing business, especially for with large and extra large companies, you'd better know very quickly when you need to cancel a deal. Otherwise, it's going to cost you a lot of cash. If you don't understand the culture, then you might invest a lot and spend a lot of time in in a deal where actually you have no chance to win. I must say that if I made a big mistake at Who's, I would say that I would clearly bring more salespeople sooner. The very interesting thing is that we had a competitor in the US. I mean, this company was trying to do the same thing we, we, we are doing right now. The amazing thing is that in a year, 12 months, they were able to sell for 15, 15 million euros of annual recurring revenue in a year. And after the year, all the contracts 
stopped because the customers discovered that there was no product. But on the other hand, we have a beautiful and perfect product, but we had to build really a sales team. We have now large sales teams and we are doing sales everywhere in the world. But actually, the thing is that at, at the point in history, actually, we had just few founders, few people who were doing sales. And it was not industrial. It was not, you know, large enough. And we were putting too much emphasis in the research and development and not enough in the sales and marketing thing. And I think that it's a big mistake. And it's kind of cultural things because French people are really always focusing on the research and development and not, not enough on the sales on the sales part. Where American people are really focusing on the results. Even in the UK, I mean, people are really focusing on, on the results and, and on the sales stuff. So when we talk to people in the UK or in the US, if you talk about return on investment, if you talk about margin and revenue, people, they, they understand very quickly. I mean, in a minute, they say, okay, I'm interested. We're going to start a project. And it could, it could go very, very quickly. Or in France, people are not that pushy on margin, revenue, and return on investment, etc. They prefer to have like 10 breakfast, five dinners, uh, 10 pilots. And then you start really looking at what we can do with the software. So you have to do demos and stuff like that. So it's not that straightforward. Just interested in the dynamic of you know for you as a as a founder and CEO, you're obviously having to work with your your board of directors, and they'll want to support you, and you need to obviously you know communicate with them. Uh, can you just share your thoughts and experiences around the best board dynamics? What makes a really good supportive board, and sometimes where can it go wrong? That's certainly something that I learned actually in my first company. I mean. Um... We were a, bu a bunch of, of partners and uh, we were quite happy because the company had a good development. In 10 years' time, we did like 20 millions. And, uh, you know, but I mean, when the company was bought, we had some, some earn out. So we had actually to make some results in order to get cash. And we discovered that we were able to do actually at least twice better than what we were doing in terms of growth before. And having goals set by external people had developed the performance of the company and my own performance. So my point here was to find, and I'm quite happy that we have that in the right sense, to find a kind of tough board, meaning that we can disagree on things. They ask for precision. They ask to go into details on certain topics and, and it helps us going further and going more into details and improving the business. So in my opinion, your board of directors should not be uh, people, and especially when you don't have a P fund or a venture, you are a young startup, a young entrepreneur, you should try to find people that will push you to be, to be better push you to grow faster, push you to actually uh, go into details and, and get new sales, etc. Being very, very top line driven and business driven. Too often, and I can talk about France, but I don't know really how it works in, in, in the US or in the UK, but in France, too many times, what I see actually uh, are boards that are 
you know, very sympathetic, very supportive, very, that's fantastic, that's great, you did a great job, etc. And And you don't progress. So a good board is a board where you progress because you are pushed to progress. But sometimes the hard things are the simple things. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, 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 you're right. It's always good when you have a board, they don't have all the details of the business, etc. So when they push you to be, to, to simplify the speech and to say, okay, show me the results, explain me, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you need, this exercise is very helpful for, for funders. And I would really, really advise funders to have a board where actually they, they really want the company to perform. The other thing I would say is that all board members should be actually shareholders and shareholders because they put money. If you put money, you are involved because it's your money. If you don't put money, I mean, it's always easy to have advice. Could I ask about mentorship? It's a slightly different relationship, isn't it, with a mentor? Do you, do you have a mentor yourself? Have you been mentored in the past? And would you recommend that for any founders? I think it really depends on how old you are. That's one thing. And the second thing is that it depends really if you are alone or not. Uh, my mentors are people that I'm working with. I mean, typically my team, that we are very open. They can tell me really what they think. And... From time to time, we disagree and, and we really fight and which is good. And the same in your board. I mean, I think that I have a lot of mentors in the board, in my board from time to time. I mean, and, and, and I would say every, every two weeks, I call the guy in the board and say, can you help me on that? And what is your thought on that? And how can I present that? And what would you do is, and even in the business, I mean, I call them and I said, okay, look, I mean, we have a problem here because in this deal, we are not able to join the CEO. I mean, can you help for it with an introduction? And and they do that. So, and they explain also how to be uh, with the person they will introduce you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, in my opinion, if you are alone or young, or if you have difficulties to work with teams, then I would advise really to have a mentor. You need to have someone to talk to. I mean, you cannot be alone as a CEO. And that's, I think it's, otherwise it's really a problem. Your mentor could be your wife, for instance. Anyway, but I mean, you need to talk to someone. Somebody that you know will give you a real answer, not just say what you want to hear. Yeah, from time to time, you need to be knocked down. I mean, in, at some points, I mean, some, some people say, okay, what you are doing that here is not the right thing to do. That's the kind of relation that we have with the executive committee, where actually, we, we are very straightforward. We talk to each other. We say what we have to say. And, and I think it's good. And, and, and the values of the, com- of, of the company are important here. Values of the company drive the way you, you behave. And our values are actually in the acronym TEAM. Uh, and we say a team is composed of people who trust each other. So T is for trust. Trust does not mean you have the same shirt with the, the, the logo of the company. It doesn't mean that you exercise with each other. It means that really trust means that you don't say this person is saying that because this person is against me, but this person is saying that because it is of the interest of the company. Then engagement is very important. In the executive committee, everybody is engaged. And because everybody is engaged, you trust the people because they are engaged like you are. Is that the E of team, T-E? The E, T-E, A for ambition. I think that in a startup, if you recruit and if you have the chance to work with brilliant people, they won't do the same job for 10 years. I don't want to make the same things 
every day for 10 years. So you need to create more opportunities. And if you want to create more opportunities, you need to grow. If you want the job to be more complex, more difficult, if you want to learn things, you want to manage people, if you want to have bigger architecture, etc. Today, our software, we need to operate it in 50 countries, 24 by 7, etc. So in the, in the research and development team, they have to deal with very complex organization and very complex IT systems. With this, actually, you give people opportunities. And for that, you need to have the ambition to grow. And I love really... The, the, the phrase of, of American people that say, think big, start small. I think it's really true. Uh, we did not follow that because we started with 20 people, but I think it's very true. You started big, <laughs> <laughs> but at least you continued to think big. So what's the M? And the M is mastery. I mean, mastery means that you put process, you industrialize your company. It's not just, you know, you don't have firemen everywhere or firewomen that are actually going on fire and, and no, I mean, I mean, things should be, you need to have architects that want to build houses that won't be on fire. So that's why it's quite important that we, you have people, industrial people that want to build industrial systems in the sales team, in the marketing team, in the IT team, in the R&D team, etc. I like that acronym. So Jean-Philippe, tell us a little bit about some of the highlights of your early life that developed you into the Jean-Philippe of today. I think that the first thing is that I had the chance, thanks to my parents, to leave my childhood in Africa. And uh, so you are really uh, with this multicultural uh, environment where, or I would even say 40% of my friends were Lebanese, 40% of my friends were uh, from Ivory Costa, and, and 20% only French. My parents, you know that you have uh, French schools in, in, this, in Africa. And they, they, they told me when I was nine years old, they said, no, we go to Ivory Costa. So you won't go to a French school in Ivory Costa. You're going to go to actually a, a kind of public school. So you, you really work on this multicultural, with these multicultural differences. And that, that's, that's fantastic. You learn with Lebanese people how to make business. You learn with, I mean, no, really, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, I, it was really a chance for me. And then uh, it gives you the test of going abroad. And so you love traveling. And so I started my company by spending a few years in the Netherlands, uh, went also to the US, to the UK, to Spain, etc. So, and and certainly it drive really this, this interest in, in adding multicultural people, I mean, and, and, and different people in, in my XCOM and, and my board. It's just learning the value of diversity by experiencing it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, it drives many things because I must say that I love really this diversity and I try, I have the chance, my chance is to have a lot of friends that are very, very different from what I'm doing. They're not doing software development. One is a North Pole and South Pole explorer for 20 years. He has a, a house in Kuschlerswark which is a village, you know, in the North Pole. Uh, one is best sommelier of France. I love wine. And I had the chance to coach sommeliers for international competition for 20 years. I mean, you discover always different things. And you should not, in my opinion, be with only people that are like you. That's an excellent point. Uh, Jean-Philippe, could I end with uh, asking a final question around the future and how confident you feel or otherwise about the future of both the uh, the startup community, let's say in France and indeed in the UK and the US, and really what the impact of perhaps artificial intelligence will have 
on this impact going forward? I mean, in France, we have the chance that it's now, let's say, 10 years, 15 years that the government uh, is developing infrastructure for startups. And uh, really, there is a huge startup ecosystem now. We know that the market is tougher. We know that conditions are more difficult. But on the other hand, I think it's also a good thing because, you know, it was more and more difficult to find talents. A lot of companies were funded with no or few business. It's kind of clean up the, the, the market in this industry. So I'm very positive in the future. I'm also positive because, you know, it's, it's always the magic of the team. I mean, each and every time in my career, I had a problem or I thought I had a problem. I, I always called my team and say, okay, look, we need to discuss. We need to find a solution. They always find a solution. We always find a solution. So I would say that working with, with, with a team where people are, they trust each other, they know each other very well, uh, you know, whatever we will have as a problem, we will find a solution. That's no problem. So um, your question on artificial intelligence, you know, I'm lecturing on artificial intelligence. So um, I'm a lot researching on that. And, and Woos is using a lot of artificial intelligence, Gen AI and, and other things, uh, neural network, etc. So I think that's going to change a lot of things in the market. I think that thanks to Gen AI, people, let's be very clear, I don't think, I'm a tech optimistic, I don't think that people are going to disappear and etc. But I think that we can increase the productivity of people in the short term by 20 to 30%. We are using massively Gen AI, uh, you know, on our research and development team to generate user story, to generate automatic testing, to generate code. Uh, we are using AI on marketing, on the sales team, etc. And we are really pushing for the global change of the company where everybody would will use AI. And I, I would say that the advice that we are giving right now to the teams every, all, in all the company is every day, it's like exercising. You need to exercise every day. You need to use a AI every day. So I think that, I mean, it's massive. It's very interesting. It's disruptive, and and I would say that we need that. We need that because there are less and less people uh, that are from 15 to 64 years old in Europe, in China. But actually, it can't because it's gonna the the, the decrease is gonna start in the US and India by 202030. Uh, according to Global Challenges Foundation, the world population will start decreasing uh, as of. 2045 in 2080 we will be like between 6 billion and 7 billion so we will lose between 1 and 2 billion of people in in the world and so less and less people to work at work more and more senior people and less and less people all around the world meaning that we need to increase productivity otherwise we have a problem to finance the economy so gen ai and new technologies will really work on that the other thing and it's not on my industry, but I would say that it's the combination of biotech and, and, and artificial intelligence will also make a lot of progress in, in the medicine and, and we will help actually a lot of people uh, with cancer and diseases like that. So, I mean, I think that the future is bright, really, and, and uh, I mean it. Well, that's fantastic. And on this uh, very optimistic uh, note that you leave us with, Jean-Philippe, we really want to thank you for your time and uh, all your words of wisdom today. Uh, I certainly love the acronym of uh, team, trust, engagement, ambition and mastery. Uh, so uh, so thank you for sharing that. So Jean-Philippe, if, if somebody listening 
wants to learn more about, I'll say, who's or you or your lectures or anything, is there, how would you suggest they do that or get in touch or whatever? They can contact me or follow me in LinkedIn and they can go to uh, woz.com, so W-H-O-Z.com and uh, they will find all the details. Perfect. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Well, Shelley, it was a real delight to meet uh, Jean-Philippe for the first time, or JP, as uh, he likes to be known. But of course, you know him very well, don't you? Yeah, you know, I've known Jean-Philippe for I don't know how many years now. I certainly knew him as as he was founding and running his first company in Oven. And uh, he very kindly uh, always gave us meeting room space so we could hold investor meetings and other things there. So that was great. Um, and obviously now with his new venture, who's, as I pronounce it, um, in the staffing area. And you know what's interesting about Jean-Philippe is he talked in this interview about values and how important they are for a company, about motivating people, about team building. And this is him. This is what he does. He is superb at this. He gave us another acronym, TEAM, yes. which for him and within his company stands for Trust, Engagement, Ambition, and Mastery. Interesting one was ambition because he talked about, you know, uh, ambitious people don't want to be doing the same thing forever. So within your own company, if you want to keep good people, you have to have new things. You have to grow. They have to feel they can grow. So that was all, I thought, very, very interesting. And he talked about within the company as he looks back on it, there were things he might have done differently. For example, he said, we spent, I think, three years in R&D where had he done it differently, he might have introduced a stronger sales presence earlier. So he's a, he's a very, as you, we've said, he's a serial entrepreneur, an experienced entrepreneur, lots of lots of interesting information and, and advice. He talked about culture. So I know that's a topic that you find very interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, he summarized it very well. The fact that French people are far more engineering focused rather than maybe marketing or sales focused is, is very interesting. You know, they, they kind of seek perfection. They, they, they want to get down to the level of detail and try to do everything perfectly, which of course takes longer. Uh, and maybe that's uh, why he mentioned about perhaps they could have started sales earlier than they did. So it's a very interesting comparison to, let's say, the American way. So if you've got an idea, the French tend to make it a bit more complex, whereas the Americans are brilliant at simplifying it and coming out with catchy marketing terms. And I think the British are somewhere in the middle. Being simple is difficult. I think that's very profound, actually. Yeah. And, you know, too, he talked a bit about his early life and living in a variety of different countries and experiencing different cultures, which, of course, lends an appreciation of diversity. He can see the differences in cultures and pick and choose what works in a particular situation. There's no right or wrong. And, you know, speaking of which, he talked as well about being able to have difficult discussions because this is what strengthens the entire proposition. You know, you need to know when you're doing well and you need to know when you're not. And um, he was very articulate 
on that topic. I, I think he's probably had his share of difficult conversations. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Follow us on the Startup Sensations podcast LinkedIn page and watch video highlights on our YouTube channel. Get in touch with us. Email hello at startupsensations.com. And that's it for another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast. And it's au revoir from me. And au revoir from me and à la prochaine fois. Till the next time. The Startup Sensations podcast. <laughs>